Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Chapter 17, Part 1 A week passed, and no news arrived of Mr. Rochester. Ten days, and still he did not come. Mrs. Fairfax said she would not be surprised if he were to go straight from the Lees to London, and thence to the Continent, and not show his face again at Thornfield for a year to come. He had not, unfrequently, quitted it in a manner quite as abrupt and unexpected. When I heard this, I was beginning to feel a strange chill and failing at the heart. I was actually permitting myself to experience a sickening sense of disappointment. But rallying my wits and recollecting my principles, I at once called my sensations to order, and it was wonderful how I got over the temporary blunder, how I cleared up the mistake of supposing Mr. Rochester's movements a matter in which I had any cause to take a vital interest. Not that I humbled myself by a slavish notion of inferiority. On the contrary, I just said, You have nothing to do with the master of Thornfield, further than to receive the salary he gives you for teaching his protege, and to be grateful for such respectful and kind treatment as, if you do your duty, you have a right to expect at his hands. Be sure, that is the only tie he seriously acknowledges between you and him, so don't make him the object of your fine feelings, your raptures, agonies, and so forth. He is not of your order. Keep to your caste, and be too self-respecting to lavish the love of the whole heart, soul, and strength, where such a gift is not wanted and would be despised. I went on with my day's business tranquilly, but ever and anon vague suggestions kept wandering across my brain of reasons why I should quit Thornfield, and I kept involuntarily framing advertisements and pondering conjectures about new situations. These thoughts I did not think to check. They might germinate and bear fruit if they could. Mr. Rochester had been absent upwards of a fortnight when the post brought Mrs. Fairfax a letter. "'It is from the master,' said she, as she looked at the direction." Now I suppose we shall know whether we are to expect his return or not. And while she broke the seal and perused the document, I went on taking my coffee. We were at breakfast. It was hot, and I attributed to that circumstance a fiery glow which suddenly rose to my face. Why, my hand shook, and why I involuntarily spilt half the contents of my cup into my saucer, I did not choose to consider. Well, I sometimes think we are too quiet, but we run a chance of being busy enough now, for a little while at least, said Mrs. Fairfax, still holding the note before her spectacles. Ere I permitted myself to request an explanation, 
I tied the string of Adele's pinafore, which happened to be loose, having helped her also to another bun and refilled her mug with milk. I said nonchalantly, "'Mr. Rochester is not likely to return soon, I suppose.' "'Indeed he is. In three days,' he says. "'That will be next Thursday. And not alone, either. "'I don't know how many of the fine people at the Lees are coming with him. "'He sends directions for all the best bedrooms to be prepared.' and the library and drawing-rooms are to be cleaned out. I am to get more kitchen hands from the George Inn at Millcote and from wherever else I can, and the ladies will bring their maids and the gentlemen their valets, so we shall have a full house of it. And Mrs. Fairfax swallowed her breakfast and hastened away to commence operations. The three days were, as she had foretold, busy enough, I had thought all the rooms at Thornfield beautifully clean and well-arranged, but it appears I was mistaken. Three women were got to help, and such scrubbing, such brushing, such washing of paint and beating of carpets, such taking down and putting up of pictures, such polishing of mirrors and lusters, such lighting of fires in bedrooms, such airing of sheets and feather beds on hearth, I never beheld, either before or since." Adele ran quite wild in the midst of it. The preparations for company and the prospect of their arrival seemed to throw her into ecstasies. She would have Sophie to look over all of her toilettes, as she called frocks, to furbish up any that were passé, and to air and arrange the new. For herself, she did nothing but caper about in the front chambers, jump on and off the bedsteads, and lie on the mattresses and piled up bolsters and pillows, "'before the enormous fires roaring in the chimneys. "'From school duties she was exonerated. "'Mrs. Fairfax had pressed me into her service, "'and I was all day in the storeroom, "'helping or hindering her and the cook, "'learning to make custards and cheesecakes and French pastry, "'to truss game and garnish dessert dishes. "'The party were expected to arrive on Thursday afternoon "'in time for dinner at six. During the intervening period, I had no time to nurse chimeras, and I believe I was as active and gay as anybody, Adele accepted. Still, now and then, I received a damping check to my cheerfulness, and was, in spite of myself, thrown back on the region of doubts and portents and dark conjectures. This was when I chanced to see the third-story staircase door, which of late had always been kept locked, open slowly, and give passage to the form of Grace Poole in prim cap, white apron, and handkerchief. When I watched her glide along the gallery, her quick tread muffled in a list slipper, when I saw her look into the bustling, topsy-turvy bedrooms, just say a word, perhaps, to the charwoman about the proper way to polish a grate, or clean a marble mantelpiece, or take stains from papered walls, and then pass on, she would thus descend to the kitchen once a day, eat her dinner, smoke a moderate pipe on the hearth, and go back, carrying her pot of porter with her for her private solace in her own gloomy upper haunt. Only one hour in the twenty-four did she pass with her fellow servants below. All the rest of her time was spent in some low-sealed oaken chamber of the second story. There she sat and sewed, and probably laughed drearily to herself, as companionless as a prisoner in his dungeon. The strangest thing of all was, 
that not a soul in the house, except me, noticed her habits, or seemed to marvel at them. No one discussed her position or employment. No one pitied her solitude or isolation. I once, indeed, overheard part of a dialogue between Leah and one of the charwomen, of which Grace formed the subject. Leah had been saying something I had not caught, and the charwoman remarked, "'She gets good wages, I guess.' "'Yes,' said Leah. "'I wish I had as good. "'Not that mine are to complain of. "'There's no stinginess at Thornfield. "'But they're not one-fifth of the sum Mrs. Poole receives. "'And she is laying by. "'She goes every quarter to the bank at Millcote. "'I should not wonder, but she has saved enough to keep her independent "'if she liked to leave. "'But I suppose she's got used to the place. "'And then she's not forty yet, and strong and able for anything.' "'It is too soon for her to give up business.' "'She's a good hand, I dare say,' said the charwoman. "'Ah, she understands what she has to do, nobody better,' rejoined Leah significantly. "'And it is not everyone could fill her shoes, not for all the money she gets.' "'That it is not,' was the reply. "'I wonder whether the master—' "'The charwoman was going on, but here Leah turned and perceived me,' "'and she instantly gave her companion a nudge. "'Doesn't she know?' I heard the woman whisper. "'Leah shook her head, and the conversation was, of course, dropped. "'All I had gathered from it amounted to this, "'that there was a mystery at Thornfield, "'and that from participation in that mystery I was purposely excluded. "'Thursday came. "'All work had been completed the previous evening. "'Carpets were laid down.' "'Bed hangings festooned, radiant white counterpanes spread, "'toilet tables arranged, furniture rubbed, flowers piled in vases. "'Both chambers and saloons looked as fresh and bright as hands could make them. "'The hall, too, was scoured, and the great carved clock, "'as well as the steps and banisters of the staircase, "'were polished to the brightness of glass. "'In the dining-room the sideboard flashed resplendent with plate.' In the drawing-room and boudoir, vases of exotics bloomed on all sides. Afternoon arrived. Mrs. Fairfax assumed her best black satin gown, her gloves and her gold watch, for it was her part to receive the company, to conduct the ladies to their rooms, etc. Adele, too, would be dressed, though I thought she had little chance of being introduced to the party that day at least. However, to please her, I allowed Sophie to apparel her in one of her short, full muslin frocks. For myself, I had no need to make any change. I should not be called upon to quit my sanctum of the schoolroom. For a sanctum, it was now become to me a very pleasant refuge in time of trouble. It had been a mild, serene spring day, one of those days which, towards the end of March or the beginning of April, rise shining over the earth as heralds of summer, it was drawing to an end now, but the evening was even warm, and I sat at work in the schoolroom with the window open. "'It gets late,' said Mrs. Fairfax, entering in rustling state. "'I am glad I ordered dinner an hour after the time Mr. Rochester mentioned, for it is past six now. I have sent John down to the gates to see if there is anything on the road. One can see a long way from thence in the direction of Millcote. She went to the window. "'Here he is,' said she, "'Well, John,' leaning out, "'any news?' "'They're coming, ma'am,' was the answer. 
They'll be here in ten minutes. Adele flew to the window. I followed, taking care to stand on one side, so that, screened by the curtain, I could see without being seen. The ten minutes John had given seemed very long, but at last wheels were heard. Four equestrians galloped up the drive, and after them came two open carriages. Fluttering veils and waving plumes filled the vehicles. Two of the cavaliers were young, dashing-looking gentlemen. The third was Mr. Rochester on his black horse, Mazor, pilot bounding before him. At his side rode a lady, and he and she were the first of the party. Her purple riding habit almost swept the ground. Her veil streamed long on the breeze, mingling with its transparent folds, and gleaming through them shone rich raven ringlets. "'Miss Ingram!' exclaimed Mrs. Fairfax, and away she hurried to her post below. "'The cavalcade, following the sweep of the drive, "'quickly turned the angle of the house, and I lost sight of it. "'Adele now petitioned to go down, "'but I took her on my knee and gave her to understand "'that she must not on any account think of venturing in sight of the ladies, "'either now or at any other time, unless expressly sent for.' that Mr. Rochester would be very angry, etc. Some natural tears she shed on being told this, but as I began to look very grave, she consented at last to wipe them. A joyous stir was now audible in the hall. Gentlemen's deep tones and ladies' silvery accents blent harmoniously together, and distinguishable above all, though not loud, was the sonorous voice of the master of Thornfield Hall, "'welcoming his fair and gallant guests under its roof. "'Then light steps ascended the stairs, "'and there was a tripping through the gallery "'and soft, cheerful laughs "'and opening and closing doors and for a time a hush. "'Don't you feel hungry, Adele? "'Well, now, while the ladies are in their rooms, "'I will venture down and get you something to eat.' "'And issuing from my asylum with precaution,' I sought a back stairs which conducted directly to the kitchen. All in that region was fire and commotion. The soup and fish were in the last stage of projection, and the cook hung over her crucibles in a frame of mind and body threatening spontaneous combustion. In the servants' hall, two coachmen and three gentlemen's gentlemen stood or sat round the fire. The Abigails, I suppose, were upstairs with their mistresses. The new servants that had been hired from Millcote were bustling about everywhere. Threading this chaos, I at last reached the larder. There I took possession of a cold chicken, a roll of bread, some tarts, a plate or two, and a knife and fork. With this booty, I made a hasty retreat. I had regained the gallery and was just shutting the back door behind me when an accelerated hum warned me that the ladies were about to issue from their chambers. I could not proceed to the schoolroom without passing some of their doors and running the risk of being surprised with my cargo of vitilage. So I stood still at this end, which, being windowless, was dark, quite dark now, for the sun was set and twilight gathering. Presently the chambers gave up their fair tenants one after another. Each came out gaily and airily, with dress that gleamed lustrous through the dusk. For a moment they stood grouped together at the other extremity of the gallery, conversing in a key of sweet, subdued vivacity, 
They then descended the staircase, almost as noiselessly as a bright mist rolls down a hill. Their collective appearance had left on me an impression of high-born elegance, such as I had never before received. I found Adele peeping through the schoolroom door, which she held ajar. "'What beautiful ladies!' cried she in English. "'Oh, I wish I might go to them. Do you think Mr. Rochester will send for us by and by after dinner?' "'No, indeed, I don't. "'Mr. Rochester has something else to think about. "'Never mind the ladies tonight. "'Perhaps you will see them tomorrow. "'Here is your dinner.' "'She was really hungry, "'so the chicken and tarts served to divert her attention for a time. "'It was well I secured this forage, "'or both she, I, and Sophie, "'to whom I conveyed a share of our repast, "'would have run a chance of getting no dinner at all. "'Everyone downstairs was too much engaged to think of us.' The dessert was not carried out till after nine, and at ten, footmen were still running to and fro with trays and coffee cups. I allowed Adele to sit up much later than usual, for she declared she could not possibly go to sleep while the doors kept opening and shutting below and people bustling about. Besides, she added, a message might be possible come from Mr. Rochester when she was undressed. I told her stories as long as she would listen to them, and then for a change I took her out into the gallery. The hall lamp was now lit, and it amused her to look over the balustrade and watch the servants passing backwards and forwards. When the evening was far advanced, a sound of music issued from the drawing-room, whither the piano had been removed. Adele and I sat down on the top step of the stairs to listen. Presently a voice blent with the rich tones of the instrument, It was a lady who sang, and very sweet her notes were. The solo over, a duet followed, and then a glee. A joyous, conversational murmur filled up the intervals. I listened long. Suddenly, I discovered that my ear was wholly intent on analyzing the mingled sounds and trying to discriminate amidst the confusion of accents, those of Mr. Rochester. And when it caught them, which it soon did, it found a further task in framing the tones, rendered by distance inarticulate into words. The clock struck eleven. I looked at Adele, whose head leant against my shoulder. Her eyes were waxing heavy, so I took her up in my arms and carried her off to bed. It was near one before the gentlemen and ladies sought their chambers. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.